All right, so for the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Apostles' Creed and trying to better understand what it is exactly that we are professing each week when we say those words in church. And I believe that it has been very important for us to do that because whether you realize it or not, what you believe will directly drive how you live. What you believe will drive how you live. And so as we wrap up this study of the words that profess our faith, I want to take the next logical step together. And I want to take a look at how it is that you and I ought to live our lives in light of these deeply held beliefs that we have professed every week for centuries. And so how is it, Mount Hope, that you and I should and can put our beliefs into practice? I'm going to give you a little church history very quickly. Back in 1729, at a university in Oxford, a man named John Wesley and his brother Charles formed a small group. You're hearing us talk a lot about small groups. Well, John formed a small group, and he called it the Holy Club. And the students in this group, they wanted to practice their faith more sincerely, and so they came up with a very structured way to do it. Every single day they engaged in prayer. They had spiritual conversations. They kept journals about their spiritual growth. They ministered to the poor and the needy. They stayed in the Bible all throughout the day. And their goal, this holy club, this little small group, was to have their outward lives reflect their inward beliefs. And that makes sense to me, doesn't it? I think it should be that way in us too. How we live should reflect what we believe. And because of the rigid structure by which this little small group, the Holy Club, studied the Bible and operated, many people on the outside started giving them a little name. They would call them a name. Did anybody know what the name was? Anybody who knows our church history? They called them Methodists. Yeah, they called them Methodists because they were very methodical in how they approached and exercised their faith and what it was that they believed. And so it was from the practices um, of this uh, small clubs, these holy groups, that later spawned the Methodist church. And so there's a little history for us. You can know that we were started from a small group that very methodically studied what they believed and tried to put it into action. A true Methodist then, therefore, is a person who has made a commitment to engaging in intentional, regular practices that draw us close to God and help us to become the people that God intends us to be. That's our goal, draw close to God and be who he wants us to be. So to put it as John Wesley would have put it, um, Methodists didn't wanna just be followers of Christ. They wanted to be better followers of Christ. It wasn't for them just about sitting in a pew. It was about spending each time every day growing in the faith and the knowledge of God. It was about growing in their ability to live according to the word of God and about doing the things that helped one be more like Christ and less like this world that we live in. And so Barbara read us this morning a message from the Apostle Paul that compares that kind of regular, diligent, disciplined, intentional Christian living in a way that an athlete uh, uh, trains for a race. Do we have any athletes in here? Any people who are or used to be athletes? What do you do? You train. You work hard. It takes every single day a commitment to run and stretch and lift weights and do drills and put yourself 
uh, push yourself physically so that you can be the best that you can at your sport. And there's a daily regimen that athletes follow every single day. And they don't take many days off because if they do, they will lose some of the progress that they made. And Paul is saying to you and me in this scripture that there are things that you and I will need to do in order to become the very best Christ followers that we can be. He says, you got to put some effort into this living the Christian life thing. Because remember, Paul says, we're not just running from some, for some little trophy that's gonna sit on your shelf and collect dust years from now. We are running for a prize that is an eternal crown given to us by the one we follow, Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, isn't that a prize worth exerting yourself for? And so if you and I want to be excellent, and if we want to be the very best followers of Christ, and we truly want to live out this thing that we say every week that we believe, we got to be consistent, we have to be diligent, and we have to be disciplined. These are the things that will make us outstanding servants of the Christ who gave his life for us. And so John Wesley, early in the Methodist movement, came up with three simple rules for a Christian to train with and to live by. And they're simple rules, but guess what, friends? They are not easy rules. And here's what they are. Do no harm. Avoid evil of every kind. Do good as often as you can. Be kind to somebody. Reach out. And stay in love with God. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. Do the things that will help draw you closer to God so that you can appreciate him in all of his wonder. Three simple rules. Avoid evil. Do good. Do the things that draw you close to God. The prophet Micah put it this way. He said, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And so what does God require of you of me? Do no evil, do no harm, do good, and draw close to God. Three simple rules that'll help us to live out our beliefs. And it sounds easy, like do no harm. That sounds pretty easy. I'll just keep, I'll lay low and I won't. I won't do any harm, but of all three, that's the one I think that we as Christians struggle with the most. Because friends, I want you to think about this. It is possible for you and me to do harms by the things that we say and do. My goodness, it's so easy to fly off the handle and shoot off our mouths and be hurtful to others. But it's also possible for you and me to do harm by the things we do not say or do. Three weeks ago, I don't know if you saw it on the news, there was a story about um, a Nigerian street vendor. He walked with a cane and he was um, selling his goods at a stand in Italy where he had immigrated with his wife and two children. And uh, a man became angry with him at his little stand that he was selling goods at and beat him, started to beat him with his own cane. There was a video that they showed on the news of this man literally being beat to death. He died as a result of this beating. And so I want us to understand that the man doing the beating, certainly he was doing harm. That was clearly evil. But what about the people who filmed it and did nothing to stop what was happening to that man? Those bystanders, they didn't do the harm by what they did, but they did the harm by what they failed to do. And in doing so, they were doing harm. I used to have a boss, she was mean. Man, my boss was mean. And one day I was at the nurse's desk at the hospital and she was literally berating one of my coworkers. She was verbally beating her down. It was very unprofessional, it was nasty, it was relentless. And uh, I think it made her powerful to do that. And I should have said something to stop it, but I needed my job. 
and uh, I wasn't going to cross her. And so I just went about my business, and, um, and I didn't do anything to stop it. And later that day, I found my friend who was dear to me crying in an empty patient room. And I felt terrible because my lack of action permitted that abuse to continue. I did harm. I did harm because I failed to do what it is that I should have done in that moment. And let me tell you, friends, what I wouldn't give to have that back so that I could make things right for my friend. You and I, church family, we are called to seek justice in this world. We are called to stop evil things from happening when we can. And they are happening all around us. I, for one, don't ever want to get to heaven and hear Jesus ask me, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you do something to stop what was going on in this world that was harmful? And I pray moving forward that God gives me the courage to do what I can. And I pray that he gives you the courage to do what you can as well. But what about the times when we're the ones that are losing control of ourselves? And we're the ones that are actually saying or doing the hurtful and the harmful things. Because it happens. We do harm, plain and simple. But when we're doing that harm, we're not living out what it is that we profess, that we believe when we say the Apostles' Creed. And so when we do that, we're saying one thing and we're doing another. Last summer, we were studying a passage from James and uh, with the youth group. And in order to illustrate the harm that we Christians can inflict simply by the words we say, um, we had a, a, an illustration for them. We got a big piece of wood and we got hammers and nails. You remember this, kids? Hammers and nails. And we had the kids think about maybe something that they said or something that was said to them that was hurtful and harmful. And as they remembered that, each kid took their nail and hammered it into the wood. You're ugly. You're fat. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. I hate you. We hammered the nails into the wood. And we talked about how that was hurtful. And then we talked about the things that we do to try and make it better. Well, I'm sorry. And, and um, you're really not fat. And we pried with the other end of the hammer. We pried those nails out of that piece of wood. What was left, kids? Scarves. Scarves were left in the wood. And then we got some wood putty and we said, well, here's some flowers. And here, I'll, I'll take out the trash, mom, and try and make up for the things that I did that were wrong. And still, what we saw were scars in the wood that were left there by the things that we had said and done that just simply could not be made better no matter what we did. These tongues should be used to tell one another the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. To do no harm is to control what they do so as not to inflict and allow hurt to be on, uh, uh, on another. Which begs the question for me, how many scars have been inflicted by tongues that only a few days ago recited the Apostles' Creed? If that question gives you a knot in your stomach, because it does to me, I want you to ask yourself, what can you do to make it right? And what can you do to ensure that your tongue that professes the Apostles' Creed does not ever inflict a scar upon someone so beloved by Christ? Doing no evil 
involves checking our own actions and it involves doing whatever we can to stop the actions of others when we see that they are harming somebody who Christ loves. That's simple rule number one. Simple rule number two, do good. Some of us may not realize it, but doing good not only benefits us, it benefits others, it benefits us as well. And you heard from the mission team, they went out to do good for others and every single one of them were blessed by God because they reached out. It's life changing when you empty yourself of yourself and serve another person. When you do that, friends, God draws you close. God reminds you how much he loves you and he moves in your life so that in doing good for him, you experience his goodness. And I want to make you aware, friends, that there are many opportunities for you to reach out and do good. There are all sorts of ways that you can live out your faith here in Mount Hope United Methodist Church. You can sign up for a mission trip. We're gone again next June. Or guess what? You can volunteer at our Bread of Life food pantry. I swear to you that every single person who was here volunteering and reaching out yesterday will be able to tell you how utterly blessed they were as a result of doing so. Every single one. Our hearts and service ministry is going to be starting up in the fall. And there will be a job, I promise, for every person at every age level and every skill set in this church. And so I ask you, what kind of beauty would this neighborhood around us see if all of the members of Mount Hope United Methodist Church, young and old, came together to do something good in the name of God? They would see the beauty of Jesus. But guess what? So would you. And so I urge you to reach out with this church family to do good in any way you can. And then I encourage you to sit back and watch. Watch what God does. John Wesley said it this way. He said, do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you ever can. I love that. I love that. So the first two rules have us avoiding the evil stuff and doing the good stuff. And come to think of it, isn't that exactly what we do when we, uh, when we are baptized or when we're confirmed in the United Methodist Church? And every time we have a baptism or a confirmation, we together as a church recommit to that promise because we are participants. We are asked, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil of this world and repent of your sin? And we answer, I do. Guess what, friends? You're promising to do no harm. And then the pastor asks, do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord. And we say, yeah, I do. I promise that. And friends, that means you're promising to do good. So right at the moment that you confess Jesus as your Lord, you promise to do no harm. You promise to do good and serve him. And the third simple rule is stay in love with God. Stay in love with God. Fall in love with God and stay in love with God. And how do you do that? Well, it's helpful, I think, to look at maybe our earthly relationships. How do I stay in love with my husband, Carl, after 36 years of marriage? I'll tell you how I do it. I spend time with him. I talk to him a lot. I remember the ways that he's impacted me. I go back and I read the letters and the cards he's given me over the years. I talk to him about literally everything that's going on in my life. And when I do, he reminds me of who I am and he validates me and he encourages me. And when I need it, he draws me close. 
And it's that closeness, it's that tender intimacy that keeps me in love with Carl. Now, when I feel like my love for Carl is dwindling because he ate the last Hershey kiss, or because he made one too many jokes at my expense, then guess what I got to do? I got to make an extra effort to do those things so that I can be reminded of Carl's love for me and my love for him. I actively take the necessary steps in order to fall in love and stay in love with my husband. And it works every time. And that's how it is with God too, friends. By intentionally engaging in the activities that draw us close to him. By placing yourself in the midst of his grace. By setting aside time for him. By remembering what he's done for you in your life. By leaning on him in times of trouble. And allowing him to work in your life in tangible ways. These are the things that remind you how much God loves you and how much you love him. When you read God's word, God speaks to you and he guides you and he directs you. When you pray, God holds you close. He comforts you. When you worship, he moves in you and he makes you to feel his loving presence. When you humble yourself before him, he embraces you and validates you. These are the tender and intimate things that when you do them, help you stay in love with your God. And there are many opportunities, friends, for you to draw and stay close to God. Come here, worship with us on Sunday mornings. Be in this place surrounded by the love of God and the people of God. Choose one of the small groups that we're going to be starting in the fall. I promise you, if you will make a six-week commitment to attend to your relationship with God in this way, God will bless you a thousandfold. I promise. Get into the word. It's his love letter to you. And it's his instruction for you in difficult times. Talk to God and listen for his answers in your life. And if you ever find yourself wondering if God loves you or if you are really feeling your love for God, be all the more intent about doing those things. Talk to your pastors. Go to two small groups if you have to. And be reminded of God's love for you. And once again, you will feel yourself falling back in love with your God. So how should you and I live out what we believe? It's by following three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with your God. Church, I encourage us, let's put feet to what it is we say we believe. And let's allow our faith to draw us closer to God. And then let's allow it to send us out to serve him in his name. Amen. All right, at this time, let us...